as we celebrate this rite of passage, this milestone here at Wellsprings this morning, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the first ever rite of passage that I celebrated as an ordained minister. It actually was just two weeks after my ordination in May 1998, and it was uh, a wedding between a, a lovely young um, artistic couple. They were both professional artists, and they had chosen a good time of the year to get married in May, and one of their families was from... Um, uh, the sort of the southern shore of Connecticut, and the site was at one of their homes. And there was going to have a big, big tent, and the wedding was going to be overlooking the ocean, and it just was ideal setting. And the wedding happened in the midst of 15 straight days of rain, and it was cold for May too. It was like 55 degrees, and so all the plans had to be scrubbed, and we gathered like 300 people under this tiny tent with like the flaps down and the water beating down in front of us and on top of us and we could hear the water coming off to the sides and it was just kind of a uh, a holy, unholy mess. And because it was the first wedding that I ever did, it was really important to me that I could be heard. But um, because it was raining so much, they had a really difficult time putting the AV system together and they didn't want to electrocute me. And so my mic kept going in and out. And I was so incredibly nervous because I was just recently ordained and I didn't want to screw it up. And 300 people at that point was the largest amount of people I'd ever spoken in front of. And I, my mouth was so bone dry from, from being nervous that, um, you, know, you know the movie Jaws? You know the movie Jaws? There's a scene in which, well, they're hunting the, the great white shark that one of them goes into a, a shark cage and then the cage goes into the water and the, the character um, needs to spit on their mask. If any of you are divers, you know this, to defog it. And it, I ain't got no spit. That's what I felt like. But a cool thing happened about five minutes into the ceremony that was just so messy and people couldn't hear me. The couple was just so in love. And there was such abundant love there with that family and with the multitudes, the hundreds of people who were present. That simultaneously we were both completely miserable and crowded in and in the presence of so much abundant love it was both this reality and that reality simultaneously and recognizing that i got a little bit of saliva back and my nerves stopped thinking of celebration and celebrating under challenging circumstances i experienced that day also calls to mind this day for us here at wellsprings as we mark our fifth anniversary the fifth birthday after we launched there's a study that I'm going to read a little bit of you, too, from the press release from this past September, from September 2011. It's called the Faith Communities Today. If you are interested in looking it up, it goes under the acronym FACT. Faith Communities Today out of Hartford Seminary, who do some of the best sociological analysis of American religion and American spirituality. And it's kind of a, a census, if you will. Every decade, they kind of take the pulse. They see what's going on in American spirituality. So I know they did it between 1980 and 1990 and 1990 and 2000. And then this final one released this past year between 2000 and 2010. What they found is a little scary. I'll read you some of what they wrote. Despite bursts of innovation, 
pockets of vitality and a few forays into greater civic participation, American congregations are less healthy now than they were 10 years ago. Among the warning signs for congregation are drops in financial health, continuing high levels of conflict and aging membership, fewer people in the pews and decreasing spiritual vitality. They also identified that the number of congregations in 2000 who ranked themselves as financially healthy noted excellence with their financial health back in 2000 was 31 percent of American congregations of these tens of thousands of spiritual communities they took a look at. That had declined by more than 100 percent down to 14 percent in 2010. Eighty percent of the congregations reported that the recent recession, still ongoing in many ways, negatively affected their finances. They found that the average weekly attendance of your average congregation, excuse me, median, not average, Chris, thank you, just had a CPA speak, median, not average, the median in 2000 was 130 people in the building. It had fallen in the decade between 2000 and 2010 to 108 people in the building. More than one in four American congregations right now, more than one in four have fewer than 50 people in worship. I saw some of this brought home by an article not too long ago in the Inquirer that I read uh, online. And it talked about a number of... a. Episcopalian churches and Presbyterian churches that are closing down within five or ten miles of here. Now, here's the good news, at least for us, is that in the context of this decline, Wellsprings, after five years, averages about 200 people between our two services every Sunday. And not that I count the numbers, but I do. We have 211 people here today between our two services. Perhaps even more telling, and these are just about the numbers, and I want to dig deeper than the numbers in just a moment, but there have been roughly 200 to 250 new Unitarian Universalist communities started in the last quarter century, in the last 25 years. Not one of them that began with fewer than 50 people has grown to more than 200 people in membership. Wellsprings, five years ago, this weekend had a lot of people here because a lot of people were interested. But the truth of the matter is this. We only had between maybe 15 and 25 people who were actually committed to Wellsprings. Now we have an adult membership of 185 people. These are good numbers here at Wellsprings, but numbers are just the byproduct, especially in spiritual communities. Numbers are just the byproduct of vision and commitment and who we are and who we yearn to be. And we had a vision early on. I had a vision. It became much more than just my own. But when you're the lead minister of a congregation that has a lot of financial support behind it and yet no members, you better have a strong vision if it wants to grow. I envisioned that we could have a kind of worship service here that would expand an affective range that wouldn't just be for the head or wouldn't just be for the heart or wouldn't just speak to the gut, but would be the kind of spiritual community in which people could come in and laugh and cry and sing out loud and sing badly. And the band would still be so loud that it wouldn't matter how out of tune you were because you'd still be hearing and participating in the, yes, you like that, Dale. We want to play so loud that we drown you out. 
and also at the same time invite your good and great noises in not just the kind of congregation that would give you information because you know what if what you want is just information in this day and age it's not 50 years ago it's now there's a great place for you to go just to get information about what's happening in the world grab your cup of coffee put on a robe put your slippers up on your feet up and just start clicking if what we want is just information we can stay home for that in this day and age But to have the kind of congregation that would invite us in, in worship on Sunday mornings, and would invite joy. Sacred should not equal somber, and it never has here at Wellsprings. I love that we're the kind of congregation in which little kids get up and dance. And as one little kid did at the 930 service, went immediately up to Teresa, our lead singer, and threw her arms around her when she was done with the opening song block. That's the kind of congregation we are. We've expanded the affective range that people may normally expect in a Unitarian Universalist congregation, and that we would offer to the world some of the best qualities of Unitarian Universalism as has come to be known. It would offer choice and diversity, and also this, the challenge, as we heard from Chris, to go deeper, to cultivate spiritual practices that, yes, sometimes will challenge us and invite us to grow, sometimes even to the places and into the places and working with the things that do scare us. Any congregation in which we're not invited to make mistakes is not a congregation worth having. Now, the interesting thing would have been if that thing would have tipped over entirely and all my notes would have gone and I just would have winged it. And that would have been all right because challenge means we inhabit spaces that we don't know everything about yet. That's what we invite here. So yes, choice and diversity, but also depth and meaning. We have created a culture here, a community of small groups, small groups rotating all the time that invite people, take off the mask. Whatever the mask is, the mask of competency or the mask of victimhood or the mask of everything is okay because I am quote unquote successful, move beyond that. That is just such a small part of who we are, the persona that we may present to the world. We want to go deeper than that. And perhaps what I am most proud of in these last five years, and I hear it over and over and over again, particularly from people who have been seekers and have gone to a lot of spiritual communities, is this, is that there are many other kinds of different churches, synagogues, mosques, different kinds of religious communities in which you might walk in and feel that on a Sunday morning or Saturday or whatever it is during the day that you've walked into a political rally or you have walked into a really good university course-style lecture, or um, perhaps not so good, you have walked in on someone else's unending family squabble. But what I hear from people who come here is that they know they have walked into a spiritual community. They have walked into a place that invites them to go deeper and to not just do it alone, to do with joy and do it with challenge. We are a community charged full with the charge of the soul, and that is not by accident. I believe there are several even deeper factors than what I just mentioned for why we are growing here at Wellsprings. I think they come down to three words that begin with the letter P. One, we have a pragmatic theology. We have a pragmatic spirituality. I must tell you that one of the ongoing conversations 
in many Unitarian Universalist congregations and in many other different style of worshiping communities is, I mean, and I've actually heard this, how many times did during the service did the, the minister mention God or prayer or scripture and sort of taking notes? Because there are a lot of communities in which there are some people who go over here, not enough, he or she mentioned it. And there are some people who go over here, too much. And they go on and on and on and on with the same old arguments year after year. I think we were guided here at Wellsprings by a different invitation from Walt Whitman who said, argue not concerning God. Can't prove God's existence one way or the other. What we can prove and demonstrate is our own spiritual growth guided through a multiplicity of different ways but invites us to share in that unity of lives made more whole. We're not just arguing the same old stuff here, but instead saying life is not an argument to win or to lose. It is an opportunity to grow your soul. That's the first P. We have a pragmatic spirituality. The second is this, and I hope you hear this in everything I say or anyone else anyone says from Wellsprings or any small group you're in. What's the personal part of this? If it's not just information that stays in our head, we have to look at ways to integrate what we learn here, who we are here, and say, what is the personal import for me? Or it just stays at the level of information, and we are already swimming in too much information to begin with. Which leads to the third and final P, practical. We want this community, and indeed we heard from Chris this morning, that we are practice-based. And that's not just true in terms of traditional spiritual practices, although we encourage that very much. We want this community to be there for you when you need it practically. Those moments when someone you love or someone you cannot stand is driving you nuts. Those moments when you want to be alive in your celebration and not just wonder, is it going to run out? Is it going to run out? Is it going to run out? Those moments of deep grief, a wonderful joy. We want, and this community has been, a place that allows you to have wisdom that accompanies you and us, and I include me in this, practically in our lives. Pragmatic and personal and practical. This has been parts, I would say the major part of the secret of our success. It has come from our DNA that we took a long time to cultivate our values and our beliefs. And one of the things I've recognized, and many folks have recognized over the last five years, that you know those aren't written on tablets in stone, never to be changed. I think it's time to revisit them, not to rewrite them. There's so much good in there, but there's some words, some realities, some spiritual realities that we've shared here at Wellsprings regularly that are missing. The word gratitude, for example, doesn't appear in there. Compassion gets the slightest notice. There's no mention of the word presence, which for me is the example of spiritual maturity. So over this next year, we're going to invite each other to work together to dig out some of the things that may be in our DNA that need to be said more explicitly. And so we can more accurately reflect our strengths of who we are and will be guided into the future by those strengths. This past year, I've been thinking a lot, and especially the last few weeks, about the vision to come. Not just what has been, not just celebrating past tense, but looking forward to what will be here at Wellsprings. 
I don't know if this will be the name of Wellsprings in time to come, but I got to tell you, I'm not attached to Wellsprings congregation. Congregation's okay. But what Wellsprings does at its best is this. The Wellsprings, think of it if, as a title if you want, the Wellsprings Center for Spirituality and Practice and Community. My vision for Wellsprings as we move forward into the future comes from what is already in our midst, but to, to make it even more strong. It comes from spiritual friendship, as the Buddha's teacher Chogyam Trungpa talked about. Spiritual companionship, real deep friendship that goes with us into some of those places that we are afraid of from time to time, that moves past the place of ego or mask or persona. This is spiritual companionship. It is so easy to go it alone these days, and yet we see record levels in our society of what? Of loneliness, of disconnect, of lack of trust. If we want to go deeper in this life, there is one thing that is true. We cannot go it alone. I see more and more and more small groups here at Wellsprings. I see eventually a space for us that will be our own seven-day-a-week space. But not that we will own. At least not right away. I have no desire in this economy especially, to have a mortgage here at Wellsprings. No desire to be hemmed in because we own something. I want flexibility here. But what I feel and see from this vision is a place buzzing with all kinds of small groups led by gifted and trained leaders who just don't buzz into town for a weekend to lead a great seminar. And then you can't wait until that great seminar leader gets back and you're just kind of waiting six months, a year, another year. No, the kind of leaders who accompany us, not just through learning a new gift or a new skill that we can learn at all kinds of other places these days. It could be the Y, it could be the local learning annex, it could be a holistic health studio, it could be all kinds of places. There are all kinds of different classes that we can take. But what it would be like to not just learn a new spiritual practice or a new way to go deeper, and then have the course come to an end. But to work alongside gifted leaders who are not just invested in teaching you what they know, but tying that new spiritual practice, whatever it may be, back to your aims and ends and goals in life. I'm talking about a community that goes by a very ancient name in many different traditions. It's called spiritual direction it's called living that deliberate life as our great ancestor thoreau invited us to do i see networks of spiritually committed people sharing their experience and strength and hope and encouragement with each other now i don't know how to do this i don't I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't. But everything that you see here at Wellsprings over five years ago, we had no clue how to do. There's a book that I've never read, but whose title I absolutely love. It's called The Answer to How is Yes. That is what makes new compelling visions come alive. That before we answer that question, how, technical, tactical, 
Those important questions. First, we have to say yes. First, we have to say that there is something compelling enough to move us individually and institutionally beyond where we are into a future not yet created. The answer to how has always been yes. Accompanying each other, inviting each other, caring for each other. Yes. Can I get a yes? Uh, can I get a yes? yes? I need one more yes. I like things in threes. Can I get a yes? yes? All right. We don't know how yet, but that's the exciting part. We didn't know how to do this, and yet we do it, and we do it really well. So today I want to celebrate the vision that has been and has come about, and the vision that is waiting to be born, and also also to attend to some of the facts of our own lives here at Wellsprings right now that I will honestly admit are challenging. There's no other way around it. A couple years ago, if you have been here at Wellsprings for a while, and if you haven't, well, I'm just going to fill in the news, we recognized that we were born into a situation of real financial abundance. People invested money in us so we could grow, and we have in unprecedented ways. But we recognized a couple of years ago that that capital was running out and running down and we weren't anywhere near being self-sufficient. So we, in leadership, set a goal, a target number, $300,000 that we needed to continue to grow in the ways which we were accustomed to with the staff that we had and everything. We decided we would set a target for $100,000 internally and $200,000 externally because we are a success story. The good news of that is that we blew right past that internal number. We set a goal for $100,000, and we raised internally $150,000. Awesome job. But here's the not-so-good news. There isn't any other $150,000. It's not out there now. It's a different world than it was five, six, seven years ago. We all know that. It's tougher out there, and the pockets aren't as deep, and there's less seed money to go around. Over the last month or so, I've had a series of not just bottom line conversations, but what Chris was talking about before, bringing our full selves to conversations about money and dollars and cents. We've received basically... The answer, that's the obvious one, that we're not self-sufficient yet here at Wellsprings. And we need to live within our means as we are now with what we have now and who we are now, knowing that we will continue to grow. We have to live within our means right now. Many of us are facing us and this in our own lives at home too. It's tough for a lot of us. And the reality of this is that it means choices that we would rather not make here and I would rather not make as the lead minister and also, I say these words in a gut-churning way, as also the CEO of Wellsprings. (laughs) We are not going to make any choices that will be fatal to Wellsprings or we believe will harm in any inextricable way our mission here in this community. 
but it's time for us to make some tough choices. Now, perhaps as you hear this news and let it sink in, I want us all to be aware of something that a relatively new field of research called behavioral economics has recognized about the way we as human beings tend to be built, which is that in terms of the intensity of our feelings, we feel a lot more worse when something we care about is taken away from us or is imperiled more than we do feel good about something that we love and getting more of it. I'll give you a specific example of this. I am, I'm ready for the booze, I am a New York Giants football fan. (laughs) I'm wearing blue today. I promised at the 930 service that if the Eagles, although I just don't see it happening, uh, ever make it as far next year and the years to come as the Giants are making it today in the NFC Championship game, I'll wear green for you all, okay? Good. Well, The Giants had a really great win last week against a team that was a major upset. They beat the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. And they beat them by 17 points, too. It actually was a pretty convincing victory. But there was a blown call in there that was kind of obvious to almost anyone, and it didn't go the Giants' way. And one of my guilty pleasures, especially on the days um, after which my, my teams win, is that I love to listen to New York sports radio. And at the start of this one show I was listening to last Monday afternoon, They wanted to celebrate the win. It's a huge win for the Giants. No one expected it. And for two hours, unrelentingly, people kept calling in and not talking about who did what well. They kept talking about how the refs screwed us. They were focused on the scarce thing. They were focused on the thing that was perceived to be taken away from them, not focused on this big, huge thing over here that was an awesome, happy thing. Sometimes we can tend to be like that as human beings. Sometimes that's the way that we're built. So what I'm going to ask you today as you process this information and in the months to come as we share this information, I'm going to talk about how we're going to do that in just a moment. I'm going to ask that we all aspire to be both and people, not either or people. Both celebrating and recognizing And witnessing and being a part of the success that we have had and recognizing that there are some really deep, true challenges here. Not either or. Not rose-colored glasses or, oh my God, the world is falling down around us and Wellsprings is closing up. But both and. Now, I want to give you a model even. I like to think in pictures and I like to think in characters. So I want to share with you someone who is a great both and example. Not Voldemort. But Harry Potter, this past uh, summer in the Spirit Flick series I do, I talked about Harry Potter in the last Harry Potter movie, last Harry Potter book, that Voldemort is an example of either or. You are either this or you are that. I mean, for those of you who know the Harry Potter mythology, and I'm guessing most of you do, it's the most famous story of our time. Voldemort is entirely either or. He cannot stand the fact that he himself is composed by wizard and muggle blood. He seeks to actually commit genocide against those who would wreck his sense of purity. He is either or. Harry Potter is both and. His friends are both and. They are both courageous and tough 
and sensitive and kind. They never forget who they are or what their magic is and also understand that what they love and who they love is sometimes imperiled and threatened. Harry Potter has great spiritual bandwidth because he is a both-and person. He's got a heart and a brain big enough to hold conflicting realities within himself and not go crazy. Increasing our spiritual bandwidth is kind of the deepest thing we do here at Wellsprings. And it's what we need now more than ever. Our DNA talks about living in abundance and living with abundance. And both and living is the gateway to true abundance. It is refusing to say, well, is a glass half full or is it half empty? Either or. It's both and. And there's water in the glass and that's worth celebrating and there's also this gap. So here's what I'm asking you to do if you have an interest in the future of Wellsprings. If. I can't assume that for all of you. If. Over the next month, you will receive an invitation to a small group to engage in conversation, not monologue, but multilogue, <laughs> a dialogue involving a small group of other individuals who are invested in what we're doing here at Wellsprings about the next steps that we are taking. In the past, we've tended to do uh, large congregational meetings, one hour, about a half hour or 45 minutes of giving you information, then 15-minute Q&A. That will not get it done right now. So what I'm asking you to do, if you are called to do, is to attend one of those small groups. If you care about the future of Wellsprings, if you've grown because of Wellsprings, if you find your life more whole because of Wellsprings, if you find it easier to love and also be beloved because of Wellsprings, if you see yourself as part of the future of Wellsprings, to focus on this question, what gifts can all of us share with Wellsprings so that Wellsprings can continue to share its gifts with the world that's what we're going to talk about but even more than what i'm asking you to do or consider doing is what i'm asking you to be i'm asking all of us to be both and people both celebrating our very real successes and our deep mission here at wellsprings and recognize that there is objective challenge in who we are right now and that the only way to lose at this moment for wellsprings is to reject one in favor of the other. Both and will be exactly what we need right now, because both and is not just about us. Both and people is exactly what the world needs right now. So often in life we are given either or choices. Either we believe in the value of tradition or we're progressive. Either the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. To learn to say both and brings real meaning in life to that great quote from Gandhi that people love to put on their Facebook pages, and I probably see it more than any other these days. Be the change we want to see the world. Be the change we want to see in the world. How often have we seen that? Well, this is an opportunity to do that. If we can be both and people here at Wellsprings and beyond Wellsprings, we will be people who can heal. We will be people who can create. We will be people who can face challenge and celebrate simultaneously and not back away from either task. So today I'm asking you to be both and people. 
hold a lot of information inside yourself. But even more, to be the kind of both-and people that the world needs right now. To be the kind of both-and people that we need right now. So amen. And happy birthday. And happy challenge time. Both and. And may we live in blessing. Not just in the happy moments. May we live in blessing in the trying moments as well. Because the deepest blessing is that the blessing never has to abandon us if we live both and. Let's pray together. Divine Spirit, divine call that invites us to grow larger hearts, more open minds, and more wonderful capacity for holding the facts and the hopes, the spirits, the dreams, the hurts of all of our lives together. I ask this day, O divine source, blessing upon all of these lives, including my own, gathered here, that we will become the people who we are called to be, sharing our natural gifts, sharing our natural love, being a people of courage and hope and faith. This is who we have been in the first five years. This is who we are called to be for the next five and the next five And the time beyond that, when we are not here any longer, but what will remain of us will be our love, and it will bless those we do not know yet. Amen.